For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Get everything you need to keep your pets happy and healthy at Menards. Feed your canine companion the best with chicken soup for the soul. Their dog food is made with real quality ingredients. It provides well-balanced nutrition for supporting happy, healthy pets. Explore all our pet products in-store and on Menards.com. And check out more of our great deals going on now at Menards. This is a podcast from Minute Media. I do remember he, he kind of called a shot in the huddle. He was just like, hey, just give me a little bit of time. Give me a hole. I'll, I'll make it happen from there. And then the next run, he just popped it for a touchdown. I was like, damn, he really just called a shot in the Super Bowl. That's pretty awesome. Welcome to the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. Please welcome your hosts, Patrick Allen and Matt Verderam. Welcome in. It's the Arrowhead Addict Podcast. And for the first time on YouTube, we are on YouTube, y'all. Arrowhead Addict Podcast, Patrick Allen, joined as always by Matt Verderam. For better, for worse, you can see us now. How, how do you feel about this development, Verderam? It's definitely for worse for the audience. For, <laughs> for us, better. Yeah. For the audience, worse. I apologize. Um, it is what it is. Blame God. Couple of faces for radio. Uh, here we are. Um, we're really excited to be doing this. We want you all to run over to our YouTube channel. We'll have the link in the episode description. Subscribe on YouTube. You're probably already subscribed on on Apple Podcasts or or Spotify or other places that you get our show. Uh, if you want to check us out in in the flesh, sometimes uh, head on over to YouTube and subscribe. We're going to be doing some podcasts right after Chiefs games or or on the same day as Chiefs games, so you'll be able to tune in for uh, for potentially live podcasts in the future on YouTube. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, and we appreciate your support and all your reviews over on Apple Podcasts. We're going to get in to the Chiefs talk now. And I'm afraid this is not what I was was hoping to talk about right off the bat here, Verderan, but we got some bad news. Willie Gay is on IR. We knew that he had a toe issue, that he had a little bit of a – there was a report uh, that he had maybe had a turf toe. Now he's out three weeks. What are you hearing on this? Well, I think the initial hope was that this wouldn't be the case. But now he's on short-term IR. So for people freaking out, IR, it's a little bit different than it used to be. He can come back after three weeks. So this isn't a situation where he's out for 10 weeks or he's out for the whole season. He's out for a minimum of three weeks, which would mean he's going to miss games, though, against Cleveland, Baltimore, and the Chargers. So that matters. Now, who's going to replace him? Probably Ben Neiman. You might see some Nick Bolton, but Spagnuolo loves to go with guys that he trusts. Trust Ben Neiman. I know Chiefs Kingdom loves that and is, is just thrilled to death, but yeah. it is what it is. So you're going to see some more Neiman now with, with Gay being sidelined. Um, hopefully the turf toe resolves itself here. That's a weird injury. That can be something that really can be week to week. That can be something that requires surgery. It just depends. Hopefully, obviously, for the Chiefs and, and for Willie Gates, the former. 
And for, for those of you out there who might not be familiar, turf toe, it sounds like, oh, it's your toe hurts. You're a professional football player. You're fine. But as, as Matt said, that's, that's not it. It's, it's, a, it's a sprain. As we saw, that's what Mahomes was dealing with in a Super yeah. Bowl last year. Had to have surgery. He was in a walking boot for a number of weeks. Had to go through physical therapy. Uh, was ahead of schedule. But it, hopefully it's not that bad for Willie Gay. Sometimes it's just minor. And oftentimes it's about pain management and, and playing through it. And we're at the beginning of the season here. I don't blame them for being cautious with, with Willie Gay. You need him at the end of the year. You don't need him necessarily right now. Yeah, I think, look, with the, with the Chiefs, is, it's all about being healthy for January, February. It just is. Look, they're, they're not going to miss the playoffs because Willie Gay is on IR for three weeks. I, with all due respect to Willie Gay, they wouldn't miss the playoffs if Willie Gay didn't play one snap all season. They, they'll be okay. Um, but he played really well this summer. I mean, by all accounts, by anybody who's to camp, and then you watch him in the preseason, his athleticism was what got him drafted in the second round. You saw that. He played great. He was fast. He was flying around. He looked a lot more comfortable in the system. You know, I know when he came out talking to people within the organization, there was a lot of thought of, look, give this kid a year. He's raw, but he's really, really talented. And we saw that. You know, you, you see what Kansas City saw in Gay. So, listen, it's a bad break, but if it only ends up being three weeks or even a month, I think for the Chiefs, that's okay. That's fine. You'll 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 take that, and you'll be able to to, to move on and, and and not really worry and not lose so, so much sleep on it. Yeah, they really could have used them against Cleveland. I mean, that's the game. Playing teams like Cleveland, playing teams like the Titans, which they'll get later in the year, you'd really like to have an athletic linebacker out there to to try to deal with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and the change of pace that that the Browns are going to be throwing at you. Not to mention all the play action. So that's a bummer, but we know that the Chiefs have the horses in the stable to still get the job done without Willie Gay. So here's wishing him a speedy recovery. And keep your eyes on arrowheadaddict.com for updates on this. We know Matt Connor will be on top of all of that. Okay. And, of course, follow Matt Verderam on Twitter, at Matt Verderam. He will as well. Let's talk roster cuts. Um, we spent a few minutes on this. We haven't had a chance to talk to you guys since the roster cuts happened. We gave you our 53-man roster predictions. We were we were pretty close. I had I had maybe Demarcus Robinson on the bubble. I was wrong about that. But we did have Darius Fountain and Jody Fortson making the team at tight end and wide receiver, respectively. They both did. So we're geniuses. What's your reaction to this, Verderham? Were you were you were you very sure they were going to make it? Are you happy that they made it? And and how do you think the two of these players will be used? Will they make an impact this year? I think to be fair, I think you actually had Fountain. I don't think I did. I had Forts now. Um, look, I, I I thought Forts would make the team A because w- they ran a play, and in fact, they scored a touchdown on it against Minnesota, where they had four tight ends on the field, and it was in the first quarter. It was with the starters. The second I saw that play, I knew they were keeping four tight ends. You don't have that play. You don't run that play in the red zone in the preseason if you're not going to keep four tight ends. So to me, Jody Fortune, at that moment, I knew he made the team. Fountain is an interesting guy. He's a former fifth-round pick at Indianapolis and bounced around, obviously now comes to Kansas. He's still young, 25 years old. He played his way onto the roster. If you watched it yesterday, Brett Veach had a press conference. He talked about that a little bit. He had to make the team. He just outplayed other people. And I think, for me, I always felt like, okay, you're going to have Hill, you're going to have Hardman, Robinson, and Pringle. After that, it was interesting. Kemp has been so good on special teams, you figured he'd probably find a way on the roster, and he did. Uh, initially got cut, but it was kind of just procedural. He was always going to come back. Fountain deserved to make the team. Like I, I thought they'd keep Cornell Powell just because 
he became the first player that Veach drafted not to make the initial 53-man roster. So I yeah. thought Powell would get the nod, but Fountain outplayed him, pure yeah. and simple. And, and they kept Powell on the practice squad. That works out. Um, but good story, good for him. I don't I don't think you know Fountain's going to be out there having 1,000 yards this year, but you know what? Good on him for earning a job, and we'll see if he can continue to make the most of the opportunity. Yeah, and you can't talk about Darius Fountain making the team without talking about Cornell Powell. And I think that, that the folks uh, like yourself, like you mentioned, that thought that maybe Fountain still, despite showing out in the preseason, wasn't going to make the team. I think the reasoning behind that was because the Chiefs drafted Cornell Powell in the fifth round out of Clemson. He's a, an impressive-looking guy. We heard a lot of good things coming out of, out of training camp about him. But at the end of the day, and this is a point that I was making to a few people was, hey, look, man, these guys are both fifth round picks. And if you're Andy Reid and Brett Veach, look, man, if the if the fifth round pick with a little bit more of NFL experience is outplaying the kid and you're as deep as the Chiefs are on offense, take the guy who can help you now. This is a team trying to win the Super Bowl right now. And if Fountain is ahead of where Powell is, Hey, you know, you took a chance on him. You get him on the practice squad. You hope he doesn't get poached away from you. But if if they think that Fountain can contribute right now, this is absolutely the right move rather than waiting a couple of years for uh, uh, for Powell to get where Fountain is right now. I think it was it was the smart play. You're trying to win. You're trying to win a Super Bowl now, not in three years, not in five years. Trying to win now. Now, also, look, I, I you know we get we get caught up in this stuff. Not you and I, but just in general, like. They're not winning or losing a Super Bowl because they chose Fountain over Powell. Like, I, I, if, right. if, if Darius Fountain's playing a ton, it's probably not a good thing for the team this year. Let's be real, okay? But if he's a better player than Cornell Powell, he should be on the team. That's how this stuff works. I don't care that they drafted Cornell Powell. And I liked him, by the way, as a pick out of Clemson. I thought he'd be an interesting young guy. He didn't play, he didn't play well enough. Fine. You put the best players on the field. We just watched in New England... We watched the Patriots cut Cam Newton. Nobody, nobody, anyone who says it, they, they weren't surprised about it, it's an absolute stone-cold liar. Nobody thought Cam Newton was getting cut. Cam Newton stunk last year through eight touchdowns and 10 picks. I don't know whether or not the vaccination status played a role in it. Uh, that, that hasn't been said. I, I'm, not, I'm not here to debate that. But look, Belichick looked at his quarterbacks and said, Mac Jones is better. That's who's playing. I don't care. And that, that is what you should do at the NFL level. This isn't high school where you're trying to protect somebody's feelings as a senior and you don't want them to get beat up by a freshman. Cornell Powell wasn't as good as Therese Fountain this summer. The Chiefs are in the business of winning football games. Therefore, they made the right decision. Bill Belichick doesn't strike me as a guy who's uh, too concerned about the homecoming game. Um, no. And, and the interesting thing about last thing on Powell is that he, the Chiefs liked him enough. They selected him before they selected Trey Smith, yeah. who's going to be their starting right guard this season and could could be a – I mean, it looks like he could be a potential Pro Bowl player down the line. That's how talented he is. Um, so it says a lot about what Darius Fountain accomplished in camp. And I think it sends a nice message to all those guys at the bottom of the roster that you, you've got a chance if you come to camp with the Kansas City Chiefs. Look, you play the best players. You roster the best players. And I think Kansas City showed that. I remember years ago when John Dorsey was the general manager and they cut Kavari Russell in training camp. He was the third round pick. That's right. You yeah. never see that ever. I don't care if they no. drafted me in the third round by accident. <laughs> no, the teams never do cut it. top yeah. 100 picks. They cut them. They cut. And you know what? They were right. They were right. I mean, it, now look, they still whiffed. They deserve, they deserve, you know, some, some, 
criticism for whiffing on a third round pick, but they didn't sit there and waste everybody's time. You know, and I think that is one criticism I have of a lot of teams in the league, most teams in the league. They are so desperate to look like they're right. They will sit there and just hold on to guys. Like, look, the Titans screwed up with Isaiah Wilson, right? The right tackle out of Georgia, who they took a year ago, who's now out of the league. That pick was a disaster from Jump Street. He was never, ever, ever contributing to that team in, in, in any way at all. I give the Titans credit for being like, you know what? Screw it. We, we messed up. We're not keeping him on the team. Now, Powell's a day three pick. Day three picks get cut all the time, especially on good teams. They just do. There's no, there's no shame in that. And he didn't even get, you know, he's on the practice squad. He's still with the organization. You're the Chiefs. Who are your best, in this case, six receivers? If Cornell Powell's not one of them, he shouldn't be on the team. Yeah. And that is exactly what happened. Last thing I want to talk about, but I, and I meant to tease this at the beginning. I'm, a, I'm, a, you know, a little, little distracted by the fact that we're on camera now. Coming up in this show, in our next segment, we have a special guest. We mentioned it on the end of the podcast last week, but if you didn't listen, shame on you. We got Mitchell Schwartz. Me and you, Mitchell Schwartz, probably about 20 minutes, 25 minutes interview coming up. Some really interesting things we learned, and we're going to get to that right after the commercial break. But before, the last thing I wanted to touch on, because a lot of fans, this is a popular player, a talented player, but just got muscled out. Darwin Thompson was cut, and... You know, not a terribly surprising thing considering how, how the Chiefs are, are deep at the running back position, deep on offense. Somebody's got to go. And he's been around for a while and hasn't really made any kind of monumental leap for the team. But what was interesting about the fact that he got caught was that he didn't resign with the Chiefs practice squad. He did resign with some, he did sign with another team's practice squad. And that team is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Does that concern you? A guy who's he's been with the Chiefs for a few years now. He knows the offense. He knows the playbook. They're only going to play Tampa Bay, you know, if they get them to the Super Bowl. But does it does it bug you a little bit that he that he ended up in Tampa Bay? Or no. are you not worried? No, I I could not. I can't express how little I care that he's in Tampa Bay. I look Tampa Bay kicked Kansas City's ass last year, and they didn't need Darwin Thompson to tell him the playbook. So if the Chiefs are going to play Tampa and beat them. It's not going to be because, hey, you know, we, we kept state secrets on the wraps. Like, Andy Reid's going to have – if they play each other, Andy Reid will have 50 new plays by the time they get to that game. I I don't care. I think for Darwin Thompson, in reality, he just probably felt like he needed a new start. He wasn't going to get playing time here. I mean, he – I think he's talented. I really do. But he never really seemed to quite get the confidence of the coaches – and you look at their running back depth chart. Look, he's not playing over Edwards and Lair. They clearly trust Darrell Williams more. Jarek McKinnon now comes in, and he's a guy who I think is going to be their pass blocking back, a guy who can catch the ball to the backfield, third down back. And then Derek Gore looked pretty damn good in the preseason. He did, yeah. Like Derek Gore looked like he could play. So if you're the Chiefs, I don't think you're all that broken up about the fact that Darwin Thompson's not there. Maybe give it to Thompson. You look at the Bucks and go after ah, Leonard Fournette. I don't know. You know how long is he going to be there for? Ronald Jones, eh, like I got a better shot at cracking that room than I do Kansas City. He's probably right. And, and if you saw, he gave an interview uh, after he you know, was, was talking about his, his Juco coach and stuff. And uh, if, you, if that's on Twitter, look for it. Seems like a really great kid. Seems like a really driven kid. D- definitely pulling for him in his career. Uh, just didn't work out with the Chiefs. And that's, that's the way it ends up being for a lot of the guys. All right. So what we've got coming up. We're going to head into a quick break. On the other side, Mitchell Schwartz from a couple days ago. Excellent interview. 
Stay tuned for that. After that, there'll be a short break. And then we'll see you for our season preview and our predictions for the Kansas City Chiefs season coming up. That way, next week, we can focus on the first game against the Cleveland Browns. So we'll have a fact or fiction section, and we'll let you know how many games the Chiefs are going to win and if we think they're going to make it back to the Super Bowl and if they're going to win it. All right, let's get to Mitchell Schwartz. We'll be right back. We want to now welcome in Mitchell Schwartz to the podcast. Of course, everybody knows Mitch played a long time in the NFL, a decade between Cleveland and Kansas City. And, uh, you know, Mitch, I don't know whether to say former NFL player, current NFL player. I, you know, I, I know obviously you had the back injury, you had the surgery on it. Um, yeah, I guess start there. Just are you are you still looking at playing or are you kind of saying, you know what, I'm good. I've done what I've wanted to do in my career. I mean, where, where does that stand for you? Yeah, I'd say it's still a current uh, NFL player. You know, I'm in the last stages of recovery here and, you know, hoping to kind of get over this final hump. It's, it's taken a little longer than uh, I would have liked or we would have liked. But uh, once I'm, you know, 100% uh, fully ready to go, I think I can, you know, make that decision and, and figure out what's next for me. But honestly, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had back pain or for people that do. It's uh, not too fun and, and not too comfortable day to day. So until I can, you know, get back to feeling the way I felt for the last nine years and, and playing the kind of ball I, I know I can play, um, you know, it's kind of a, a moot point. So uh, like I said, just kind of looking to finish up this, this last phase of recovery and then from there, figure it out. But uh, I haven't, you know, closed any doors, haven't, uh, you know, officially done anything and uh, really just waiting for that health to kind of fully uh, get back to where I was. I feel for you. I'm currently on a steroid for my back and I'm guessing that I'm not anywhere near in the pain that you were considering you have to deal with 300 pound guys bull rushing you. So <laughs> On that front, I'm actually curious. And you got you got hurt in October of last year, and it kind of became a week to week thing. At what point did you kind of realize, look, I'm I'm not going to be able to come back this season. This is going to be something that's going to be a little bit more longer term than a week to week or even a month to month deal. Yeah, I mean, we really thought, you know, originally I did not go on the three week IR. You know, we thought it could be something as as quick as you know two weeks. I think we were playing Carolina was the third game I missed. It was right before the bye. You know, so you could have thought, oh, it's easy to put Mitch on, you know, three-week IR, kind of get that fourth week of the bye, come back. Uh, but we really thought there there could be a chance. You know, we didn't uh, realize it would take this long, let alone, you know, needing to get surgery. I think, you know, that's kind of why it took that long to get surgery because we were exhausting all options until, you know, you kind of do that as the last resort. You don't uh, cut into your body if you don't need to. So uh, we definitely thought there's a chance it could be quicker. I mean, with back stuff and with nerves especially, there's no really timetable that's, you know, it's not like a high ankle sprains, you know, four to six weeks or MCL, certain grade is this and certain grade is that. You just never quite know uh, every you know back and, and body and nerve is different. So uh, unfortunately, there's not, you know, a, a specific timetable that, uh, we could stick to, or even right now we are sticking to. Um, but we thought, you know, with, cause it didn't come on as like one, Oh man, I just heard it right there moment. So we thought maybe it was, you know, an alignment issue or, um, something was out of place or maybe just, you know, symptomatic for the moment, but could go away. And, um, you know, obviously the, the more I worked at it, it, it wasn't subsiding and, um, you know, kind of got frustrating there. No. Spinning it forward now, I mean, you know, preseason is about to end. Got a couple more days of it. And I'm curious, as, as, a, as a current player, you know, what are your thoughts on some coaches like Andy Reid will play 
guys for a half. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna play the starters for a full half, at least you know, deep in the second quarter. Then there are other coaches, Sean McVay being one. Hey, we're not gonna play our guys at all. We're not gonna play any starters. We're just gonna analyze some of the backups, some of the depth on the team. As someone who's been a starter for a long time, which which way of it were you more of a fan of? Hey, I'd rather just sit here and watch the guys and enjoy a couple of weeks off, or no, I got to I got to knock off some rust. I've got to get three or four series. Well, I never got to experience a preseason gameless uh, preseason. You know, I was always playing in games. I will say, you know, preseason game four was always a good one as a starter. You know, that was typically the week you got off. And, you know, at that point, you kind of feel like you've, you know, almost earned that week off. And, um, you know, I've had years where I've had to play in that game a little bit. But, um, I mean, and coach obviously loves to, to play as guys throughout the preseason. I mean, I think, you know, last week we were all kind of looking at Pat and thinking, oh, maybe he's going to take him out. And, you know, he left him in a little longer than uh, maybe we thought. So coach likes to do it, but it also seems like every year at the end of September, we're 4-0, 5-0. So uh, there's definitely a, a method to his madness. You know, for me, preseason games are interesting because I felt like I always performed worse in a weird way because, you know, preseason game one, essentially you get the game plan like two days before the game. So, um, you know, one year we play the Texans and, you know, you're pretty much worried about J.J. Watt and that's the guy you're going against, especially as the right tackle and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's not dressing. So now you're going against this rookie and you don't really have too much tape on him. If you do, you got to go watch it from uh, college. You know, you're not sure what defense they're going to be in. There's a new coordinator and, you're not sure of the fronts and the rotation and this and that. And so for me, I'm a big preparation guy. And so that lack of preparation, uh, I always thought kind of made me a little bit hesitant and a little bit uh, not quite as confident as I like to be going into a game. And then again, you're, you're also not spending the whole week kind of going towards that one goal of beating that team. Right. You know, you're still for the most part in training camp mode. So the combination of those two, I, I felt like I didn't play the best in the preseason, but I still appreciated the work because you really just can't simulate that. I mean, you can go against Frank Clark, you can go against Chris Jones, but practice is just different. I mean, it just is. Um, you want to go against those guys to kind of get the speed of what it's going to feel like, but games are different. And so, you know, I think coach does a pretty good job of, you know, not exposing us too long, but getting us out there and giving us the right amount of work. Um, but obviously guys, you know, this kind of Sean McVay tree, uh, at the end of the day, they want all their guys for all 17 games. And, you know, they're not willing to kind of, risk that. Uh, I do think it's a little bit funny. You know, we talk about us as pro athletes needing, uh, especially professional football players, needing these three preseason games to get into, uh, you know, kind of the speed of the game. And then these 18, 19, 20 year old college kids don't have any preseason games. And just first game, it's Alabama against Miami and they're going full speed and no one really complains that it looks floppy or that they're not, you know, ready for game tempo. So I do think that's a little bit of a contradiction when they, you know, first couple weeks of the year complain that, you know, it looks sloppy and not enough guys are playing preseason, but these college kids can just, you know, hit the ground running. You know, for you, Obviously, like you said, I mean, many, many years as a starter in the league, never missed a snap really up until that one game in Tennessee there for a brief, brief period in your back. And, and then obviously, of course, last year. But, you know, the season's now longer. At least the regular season is now longer. And, and for many teams, of course, you go into the playoffs. Now you're playing really essentially from late July when you get into camp all the way through you know, Valentine's Day if you get to the Super Bowl. How much extra of a toll do you think it takes playing that extra one regular season game? Do you think it's as 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 important as as hard on the body as maybe some make it out to be, do you think it's really not that big of a deal? I'm playing 16, I can play 17. You now, where do you sit on that with the league now going to 17? I'm sure soon going to 18. Yeah, I think it 
definitely adds a, an element uh, that you don't really want to deal with. I mean, you know, when the schedule used to come out, so you had your 16 games in 17 weeks, you know, kind of the perfect schedule was uh, a Thursday game or a bye right around week five or six, and then a Thursday game or a bye right around week 11 or 12. So you kind of have, you know, a five or six game chunk, five or six game chunk, five or six game chunk, and you could space it out. You know, most coaches give you kind of a mini bye after the Thursday game. And for the most part, you're not practicing too hard anyway. You know, I personally always uh, love Thursday games for those reasons. You know, I know people don't like them, but I, as a player, I mean, all right, we're going to practice less and you're going to give me four days off on the back end. I mean, <laughs> sign me up for that. Uh, so I think it's just adding, you know, maybe before you had a seven or eight game stretch of, you know, continuous games without kind of that little mini buy and now all of a sudden it's a nine game stretch or a 10 game stretch and uh that that can really add up i mean it uh you know definitely i almost want to say more mentally than physically uh you know coach does a good job of course taking care of his players and a lot of the, the coaches around the league i mean they're really tapped into kind of the sports science aspect of knowing uh you know coming off a monday game maybe we need to you know pair back Wednesday practice. We can't go full go. We landed, you know, Tuesday at 6 a.m. after playing in New England. And, you know, the next day is a padded practice. You know, you're probably not going to go quite as crazy that, that, that Wednesday, but um, it definitely adds up. I mean, there's, like I said, that, that mental stress and strain of having to be on every single week and not really allowing your mind to, to let loose. Uh, I think that might end up manifesting physically and, and being a little bit more challenging. Now, to, to kind of move into your portion of your career at the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm, I'm interested you know, in a few more minutes here with Mitch Schwartz, former All-Pro uh, offensive tackle. You got there in 2016. You, of course, were in Cleveland for a few years. Obviously, not a, a whole lot of team success in Cleveland, not only during your tenure, but about 25 years running. Um, you end up signing with Kansas City. I'm just curious, you know, that whole process for you, what was it like? Like, Were you always like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to Kansas City. That's where I want to go. Obviously, your brother Jeff played there for a year, played under Andy Reid his first year there. You know, did you almost resign with Cleveland? You know, what was that process like to get you to end up inking that deal with KC? Yeah, it was an interesting process for sure. Uh, you know, I wanted to stay in Cleveland. I mean, you kind of get used to where you are. You like the area. You know, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, uh, she was from Cleveland. I met her there. Uh, you know, I got to play with Joe Thomas, Alex Mack, John Greco, Joe Platonio. You know, we had a pretty awesome line room. Um, you know, those guys are, are lifelong friends and, you know, we still talk a bunch. And so, you know, for me, you know, obviously we didn't have the team success, but, you know, every day I was going and I was hanging out with my friends and we had a good time. And, you know, you're kind of always optimistic and you think, you know, the, the team's going to have more success than uh, you end up doing. And so I wasn't necessarily feeling like, oh, I need to get away. I need to go somewhere else. Um you know, kind of that quality of life day to day, like I said, was there for me. I, I, I liked every uh, day of, of showing up and hanging out with those guys. But, you know, a lot of people told me you probably want to get out of there if you can, um, you know, it's just not run the right way. And, you know, there's a, the grass actually is greener in, in this instance. And so, um, you know, my free agency played out a little interestingly, uh, you know, we weren't quite getting the offers we thought we would. We were still negotiating with Cleveland, um, you know, woke up the next morning and all of a sudden Cleveland said, you know, the deal wasn't there anymore. So uh, that was off the table. Um, yeah, that was an interesting little nugget. Um, and from there, we just kind of kept talking to, you know, other teams and the Kansas City thing came about, you know, relatively quickly. You know, there was mutual interest there. I knew about the coaching staff from my brother. I knew he had a great time, you know, still Coach Reed, Coach Heck, knew about the city, uh, all those things. So, 
um, yeah, they came together fast. And once, you know, we were actually able to officially talk to them and, and talk numbers and, um, you know, get into the, the free agent portion. Um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. And, you know, as a prospective free agent, I mean, you're kind of looking at it teams and seeing, you know, who's available and, you know, what, what spots would be. And so, you know, I knew for the, I think that was the same year Donald left and, you know, I knew they'd kind of have a void there, although it just signed jaw to that little extension. So I wasn't quite sure if that was really going to be a team. And then, um, you know, once the window opened, we were able to talk to them, you know, it became apparent that there's mutual interest. And then, uh, obviously it's, it's been a good, uh, five years and, um, definitely the right decision. <laughs> you know, you get to Kansas city, a couple of successful years with Alex Smith as a starting quarterback. And then of course, Mahomes takes over in 2018 and, I feel like there's no point in asking about hey, when did you know Mahomes was great or when did you know, because I mean, he, he's turned out to be great. We've heard all the stories about when he was even running the practice team and, and how well he, how well he played in practice. I'm curious, like behind the scenes, when you're in the locker room when you're shooting the breeze, whatever the case may be, you're at a Wednesday practice during the season. Like give me something on, on who Patrick Mahomes is, you know, either, either just something funny or just, just kind of an insight into who he is. And maybe, you know, if you're a fan, you're not seeing that every day. Well, I think the coolest part of who he is, is that what you see as a fan is who he is. You know, he's literally that same guy every single day. He's genuine, you know, his locker's right there in the middle of the locker room. Everyone can go up to him and hang out. And uh, like you said, shoot the breeze, you know, chat, do whatever. It's not like, Oh, the MVP's over there in his corner. Don't bother him. You know, he wants to be around everybody. He's got that youthful energy, that enthusiasm. Uh, you know, we see it on social media. We see it, you know, uh, on the field. And uh, pretty in any chance we get to kind of watch him from the fan perspective of, you know, how engaging he seems. He's, he's chatting up with everybody. And so there's just no distance between him and really anyone on the team. I think that's the coolest thing about him is, you know, kind of same with Trav, same with Tyron, you know, all these guys, the culture that the Chiefs have built, it's with good people. It's with people who, you know, aren't going to put down someone who, you know, theoretically is, is beneath them in standing or stature. Uh, it's just a, a really good group of people. And, you know, Pat at the top really exemplifies that. And so, yeah, every day, I mean, you can go up to him and, you know, he knows all the sports. And so, hey, did you see what Luca did last night? And he's already spitting out the stats because he's already seen it. Or, hey, did you see this, you know, the college baseball, you know, semifinal? And he's seen that, you know, it's it's, it's pretty crazy. So you're not really going to bring him any new sports information. Uh, you know, I think he kind of knows the back channels anyway. So <laughs> I'm sure he's well aware of when uh, the, the big stuff's going to happen. Bigger win for Patrick Mahomes, the Super Bowl, buying a baseball team, buying a soccer team, or bringing Whataburger to Kansas City? Oh, wow. Uh, I'd say my guess is his stake in the two teams isn't, uh, you know, extensive. So I'm going to put those two to the side. Uh, Between Whataburger and the Super Bowl, I'd say the Super Bowl probably unlocked Whataburger. So the Super Bowl was was the key that drove that engine. Uh, Um. But no, I mean, we all know it's the Super Bowl. It's, uh, you know, the the thing that, you know, honestly, all of us on the team, I mean, that's what we're going to be remembered for. You know, you hear the stories from the team from 50 years ago, and they're still living there. And uh, it's just, they're so revered, and, and the city loves it. And I think it was, you know, pretty special to be, you know, part of that uh, first one. And obviously, we're hoping for a lot more. You know, it was my cheap way of segueing into the Super Bowl, because, now that game, I remember covering from the press box, and when Mahomes throws that second pick in the fourth quarter, it's 20 to 10. Things had not gone particularly well. The Niners, of course, have a great defense that you guys are going up against. And just walk me through from a player's perspective, 
from from when he throws that pick until Damian Williams runs into the end zone for that final score, what is the emotion like for you? I mean, I, I get it as a player. You're never going to walk off the field and go, well, we lost the game. It's it. I mean, you're never going to feel that way. But I've got to imagine just from a human perspective, 2010, ball bounces off Tyreek's hands, a little behind him, gets picked. I can't imagine that at that point you're very high emotionally with about you know 11 minutes to go in the game. Well, I'd say most of the people that uh, play with me would tell you my emotional level is pretty much flatline. So uh, I'm not going to be you know too high or too low. I do remember sitting on the bench thinking, man, it would suck to have come this far and to play all these extra games and all this extra practice and not walk away with it. But it wasn't in any sort of like negative way where I expected us to lose without we would. You know, I just that team. I mean, we all obviously. So you had the, the trust and uh, the confidence and the belief that we were able to, you know, turn any deficit into a victory. And so um, I didn't realize how dire it was until I watched the game. You know, I actually didn't watch it until like two or three months later with a couple of friends. Uh, you know, we were sitting there watching and we're kind of going through it and we, we threw that pick and there were like eight and a half minutes left and we're going against the second best offense and a really good team uh, running team, you know, a team you assume is going to kind of run the clock out on you. Um, you know, I know that that year, the criticism of our team was probably the, the run defense as well. And so, you know, watching it from that fan perspective a few months later and the commentators just saying, Oh, San Francisco has got the ball and they can milk the clock, all this stuff. You know, at that point I realized, man, it, it kind of was dire, <laughs> uh, you know, from the player perspective, I, I never realized that in a moment, you know, I didn't think, I mean, we're really you know, letting this slip away. We're, we're losing our chance. It's just, you don't think like that. You don't realize that, um, you know, kind of the, one of those cool kind of game flow things that it just doesn't really cross your mind. You're just waiting for the next time you're going to take the field. And then obviously from that point, we knew, you know, every time we got it, we really had to score, but um, in the moment, didn't realize it. It just seemed like another game, you know, fortunately or unfortunately we had gotten used to coming back from those kind of deficits and then uh yeah watching it a couple months later uh it is kind of crazy what we were able to accomplish you know when you look back on that game and i'm sure now that you know you're a year and a half removed from it, you've had the opportunity to do it uh was wasp the biggest play or in your mind was there another play that game that was bigger because wasp gets all the attention right it's third and 15 it's a deep ball down the field two superstars involved in it but there were a lot of plays in that game especially the last five, 10 minutes, it really kind of drove that comeback. When you think back on that game, is there maybe an underrated play or an underrated moment that you look back and you know what, that's, that's a huge reason why we won that game. I don't think so. I think it is as, you know, kind of special and, and revered as it has become, you know, that really is the play that kind of jump started that drive kind of, I'm not a big momentum guy, but you know, it did kind of start the, the flow of energy there and um, really carried it to our defense and then back to our offense. Uh, the one play that I wish was different was the fourth and one, the, you know, Casey shuffle play. Uh, you know, we got like six inches away from scoring the touchdown on that. I think it would have been awesome to not only have converted the fourth down, but to score the touchdown. And like, that's the play that they're showing for all the touchdowns. Uh, so I wish we, I wish we were able to get the, the touchdown on that one. But no, I think the wasp play is the play that, you know, kickstarted the drive before the drive. We took the lead and then, Obviously, Damien's run at the end there. Um, I do remember he, he kind of called a shot in the huddle. He was just like, hey, just give me a little bit of time. Give me a hole. I'll, I'll make it happen from there. And then the next run, he just popped it for a touchdown. I was like, damn, he really just called a shot in the Super Bowl. That's pretty awesome. That's two more questions here. Mitch Schwartz, all-pro right tackle. You know, Mitch, I've got to ask you a last thing about that Super Bowl. We were just talking about the Rose Bowl right parade. 
How nervous are you on that play in the sense you've never run this play before? It's it's on the biggest stage there could possibly be. You've got guys spinning around in the backfield, the running backs taking a snap. And it not only have you guys not run it, the play's literally not been run in like 70 years. Like if this thing goes bad, it's got a potential to go really bad. And people to go, what what the hell are they doing? Why would you run that? How nervous are you since you it's a play you've not run and it's not one of your bread and butter plays, especially in that moment? You are nervous because again, that gets back to like not knowing what the defense is going to do. You know, it's an unbalanced formation. It's obviously a crazy looking thing. We're moving and we're shuffling and, you know, the line's doing a little shuffle as well. So uh, you just don't know what the defense is going to present you. And then, you know, I had my right guard was pulling. So theoretically I could have had to block as far down as like two gaps over. And then, you know, fish is on the other side and I got to you know figure out where he's going and we got to coordinate all those things. And, let alone if the defense lines up in the static thing and if they line up and realize it's unbalanced and where they can shift to and all these things. So yeah, it's a, it's a little bit nerve wracking at the end of the day, you just got to kind of trust your, your gut, uh, trust your football sense. And I mean, do we worked on that thing since like May of that year? So uh, we had a lot of practice at it. He was holding in his back pocket for the right moment. Of course, coach always knows when these things are going to work. It seems like they always do. Uh, you know, he kind of just holds them for that right moment. And uh, like I said, I uh, wish it was a touchdown, but it was still a pretty good three and a half yard gain on a really big conversion. I mean, uh, you know, early in the game, being able to convert a fourth down, keep a drive going, end up, you know, scoring. a. I think we scored a touchdown a couple of plays later. Uh, definitely a, the, the right way to start the game. Well, speaking of the line play, obviously the the big story for the offseason for the Chiefs was the revamping of the offensive line. Now we've gotten to see them in action for a couple of games in the preseason here. Obviously, there's no better expert to to look at that play uh, than you. What have you seen from from those guys from that new line so far this preseason? And what do you think Chiefs fans can expect from that line as, as they head into the year? I think it looks really good. You know, it's only been a couple games. You know, obviously the Niners didn't play, you know, kind of their first fleet, but they've looked good. I mean, they're doing like little things that you don't necessarily expect, uh, you know, rookies to do. You know, obviously I feel like more focused on center right guard, right tackle, just because those are, you know, the unknown quantities. I know everyone's kind of wondering how Orlando is going to look in this offense and Tooney kind of just is uh, almost the you know, kind of guy you, you forget about and he's just going to be solid over there. But uh, yeah, you're seeing all these little things that, you know, you don't really expect rookies to do and let it, let it uh, happen at that speed at that level, that, that fast, uh, you know, Creed is really strong. He's a big dude for a center, uh, a lot of strength, but you know, there's times he's able to feel those zones and kind of, you know, bump back and help a guard or, you know, help out on his own and climb to the backer. And we all know Trey is just, wants to beat the crap out of you. And so uh, that's a, an awesome tone setter to have. And, you know, he's also done some really good things with his technique as well. It's not just that, you know, he's out there mauling and throwing guys, you know, he hasn't gotten any penalties. You know, they might've been able to throw one uh, in that first game, but, you know, he hasn't gotten any so far and it looks really good from him. And then you know, I think Lucas has done an awesome job. Uh, you know, I'm really impressed with his balance, his sets. Uh, he's a he's a big dude as well. And so he can, uh, you know, play a little bit higher. I don't want to say higher because he's in a really good body position. It just looks higher. His chest is a little more elevated. But when you're a big man like that, he's good with his hands. He's got, you know, really good leverage. Uh, you're able to absorb a little bit more bull rush than, uh, you know, us quote unquote skinny folks at, uh, you know, 315, 320 probably even 325 I'm sure he's you know pushing the north side of 330 there but it's good weight he carries it well he's 
looks really good out in space, you know, in his past sets. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really encouraged by it. You know, I know there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be games where, you know, maybe things aren't going quite as well. A defense is doing something different. They're not used to something's kind of happening. You know, there's going to be a week where Pat just kind of has to do it. There's going to be a week where, you know, Clyde's got to step up or, you know, the receivers or Trav or whoever, but uh, you know, I think it's, going to look pretty good at, out of the gate and then, you know, just going to keep getting better from there. So, uh, yeah, I'm obviously pretty positive about it and uh, I haven't really seen anything that's, that's worrisome so far. And, you know, I think expectation wise, I mean, the fans, uh, you know, we got to remember these are rookies. I mean, three out of the five are rookies and the other two are new to the offense. And so, uh, you know, however it looks in the first month or two, I think it's only going to keep getting better from there. And, um, you know, aside from Orlando, you've got, you know, pretty much cost controlled talent at the other four spots for four or five years in Vinny's case. And uh, I think that's, you know, exciting, exciting thing for Chiefs kingdom. Last thing I got to ask you, cause I remember writing about it when Tooney signs 80 million, it's a, it's a record deal for an interior lineman and, and you share an agent with Joe Tooney and, and Mike was nice enough. Mike McCartney was nice enough to sit down with me and kind of walk through the entire process. And he made it a point to say, you know, one of the things that really helped the whole process along was Mitch talking to Joe and saying, Hey, this is my experience in Kansas city. This is how it went. Um, and that played a big factor. And I'm just curious, you know, what was that conversation like? What was that feedback like, you know, five years in KC and, and obviously a ton of success personally, you know, and, and, and both, you know, as a team as well. Um, and what did, what did you relay to, to Joe while he's trying to make that decision? Just, you know, I think how much he's going to like it there. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that from the offensive line perspective, Perspective. I mean, uh, I'm able to kind of give them the feedback of not only, you know, what does practice look like? What are meetings like? You know, but what's Coach Heck like? How is he going to coach you? You know, what's the mood going to be? What's training camp like? How are the dorms? You know, all these kind of little things that you can really lay out. You know, obviously, I, I've been in the league a while, so I kind of know how things run in New England. And, you know, I'm able to kind of compare and contrast that a little bit for him. And, you know, I think in his case, I mean, what his first three years, he was in the Super Bowl all three years, something crazy yeah. like that. You know, I think his four years, he hasn't missed a snap either. And so, you know, he's used to winning. He's used to having success. Uh, you know, obviously, I think we do things a little differently than New England does. And so I was able to, you know, kind of share those and tell him we might have, you know, a little bit more fun day today. And, um, you know, just sharing it, you know, it's, it's just information. Obviously, you know, I wanted him to come here and I think it's, you know, good for the team and good for the organization, but, um, you know, kind of be a disservice if I was being dishonest or, or lying to him about it. And so it's very truthful. It's just, Hey, these are the experiences, you know, I think you'll like these things, you know, maybe these are a couple of things that might be different that you, you might not like, but um, just giving him the total picture and then just allowing him to say, Hey, what do you think of this? Or um, just be there for him if he had any kind of little questions here and there. Well, Mitch, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for hopping on, joining us. It's been great to talk to you, great to catch up. I hope the back continues to heal up for you. And uh, who knows, maybe see you on the field at some point later this year. Don't know. See, what, see how it goes. Hopefully it goes well. Yeah, we shall see. I appreciate you guys having me on. It was uh, a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mitch. Well, I got to tell you, Verderam, that was that was awesome. Uh, I know you, 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 you're friendly with Mitch. You reached out. He agreed to, to join us. Uh, it was, it was great to hear from him. I, you know, we've all been concerned about him. We would love obviously to see him back out on the field, but it was cool to get his, his input on what the chiefs have done this off season. And that thing about Damian Wilson calling a shot in the super bowl. I didn't know that that was awesome. Well, Damian Williams, if Damian Wilson did it, 
That, that oh, would have been that would have been something really yeah, well, special. Yeah, that would have been really incredible. That being said, not many Damians on this team. They really a lot of D Williams over the years yeah, as well. D but Williams. in any event, no. Listen, absolutely, that was great of Mitch to join us. I appreciate it. As you mentioned, yeah, I had reached out and he was more than happy to come on and, and take some time and hoping for the best in his back uh, recovery. And we'll see if he plays again and where he plays. Who knows? But very interesting stuff. Bullish on the offensive line. And what I appreciate about Mitch is, you know, he, he tweets out constantly during the game. So first of all, if you're on Twitter, you should follow him. He's a tremendous following. Second of all, you know he's really invested in watching and he has really great insights, and uh, not just to the Chiefs, but to the league. But I got to say, yes, my favorite part was absolutely the Damon Williams nugget. You know, I, I'm going to score. He came within about six inches, um, but he got a huge first down and scored in the next play. And, and the rest, of course, is history. But. Yeah, thanks. Kudos to Mitch. Great job, and, and love to have him on. Hopefully, have him on uh, here again throughout the rest of the season. Just real quick before we go, did you see that tweet he tweeted about Kirk Cousins? It was a drive-by uh, episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what did he say? It was during a preseason game. Kirk it was against Kansas see- City. Yeah, yeah. He threw he threw short on like third and some ridiculous thing, like third and twenty-two or something, and he was like, "Well, I see Kirk Cousins is in midseason form." <laughs> just, just- I think that was that was after we talked to him, right? And. and- it was. Yeah. And the funny thing, it was. It, was, it was at night. It was at night. And yeah. The, the yeah. funny thing is, I don't want to get Mitch in trouble here, but I know he knows this, of course. They share an agent. Like, <laughs> they, so that way I was like kind of really surprised, but it was funny and I'm sure it was all in good humor. But yeah, he really yeah. <laughs> took a pretty good shot at Kirk there during a preseason yeah. game. Yeah, you see in the interview, he's, he's a, a mild mannered, kind of soft spoken guy yeah. and uh, really measured. So it's fun to, fun to hear a little bit, of, a little, a little troll from, from Mitch. Uh, on a guy I'm sure he's very friendly with. All right, we're going to take our last break of the episode. On the way back, we've got our season preview and predictions for the Kansas City Chiefs. We've got some fact or fiction, and we're going to tell you if we think the Chiefs are going to win their second Super Bowl in three years. We'll be right back. All right, we are back. It's the Arrowhead Attic Podcast. Patrick Allen, Matt Verderam. Verderam, let's preview this season now when the when the schedule came out we did some deep dives i thought a lot about how how can we preview the season what's the best way to do this and i think rather than go game by game because let's be honest we're going to do that with everybody all season long right and we know what the expectations are right we're not talking about a team that is um you know what, what, what can we expect from the dolphins this season there's a lot to talk about right this is the kansas city Chiefs. we all know what the deal is they're expected to win 13, 14, 15, 16. Some people think 17 games and challenge for the Super Bowl. That's it. That's the preview. That's what the goals are for. But how is it going to play out? Who's important? What's going to happen? So we're going to do a little fact or fiction and get our opinions on a couple of different topics that fans might be interested in. And then we'll let you know about all that that uh, you know that that Super Bowl stuff that I'm sure you you have way down on your priority list. So uh, the Cleveland Browns. Fact or fiction? I'm going to start with this one, and I'm going to have you go first, Verderam. The Cleveland Browns are the biggest threat to the Chiefs and the AFC. Fact or fiction? Fiction. I think they're a threat. I don't think they're a bigger threat than Buffalo. Buffalo got to the AFC Championship game last year. The Bills were really good. They went 13-3. and Josh Allen, second-team All-Pro, right along with Mahomes. I think the Bills are really well coached. As do I, I think the same about the Browns, by the way. But really well coached, really well run. I think the biggest difference between Buffalo and Cleveland, I actually think Cleveland's roster, one through 53, you could make an argument it's the best roster in football. I don't know that I would make that argument, but you could make it. 
but Buffalo has the much better quarterback. And I, I always believe when you get into these games in January, even sometimes in December, depending on what's around you, you live and die with the quarterback way more than you do in September, October. Well, Kansas City is going to win with scheme early in the year. Even if they didn't have great talent, they just would because right. Reed comes up with all these things and nobody figures out for five weeks. When you get to December and January and February, there's no secrets anymore. And I, I, I just look at Buffalo and I say Josh Allen – is the much better quarterback. I think Baker is above average, but I don't I, I don't think he can go I don't think he can go to Arrowhead and sling it with Mahomes in January. Now maybe in week one we'll get that game next week. Like maybe that's a different deal. Come out, thing you know, kind of settling in. I don't think in January Mayfield's going in there and winning the game. Where to be fair to Allen, I, I think it, I think it's more possible. I think Allen would have a shot to do it. I'm gonna go with fact. And I thought a lot about this one. And you know I'm from the Cleveland area, so I'm a little partial to the Browns. But I watch all of their games. Um, and I'll give you my reasoning. One, and I agree with you, they've got the better quarterback. And Cleveland's got the better team. The reason why I think the Browns, I think the Browns are going to be better this year than last year. And I think the Bills are going to be a little worse. I think we're going to see a little bit. Look, the stat nerds have got to me. Josh Allen is a prime regression candidate to regress to the mean a little bit. He had a great season, but they still can't run the football. I'm not confident that they can run the football, and that makes them one-dimensional, and that makes it easier for teams like the Chiefs to break down Josh Allen and cause problems for him in these big games that matter. And when he's got to sit back there, I mean, they harassed him. They caused all kinds of problems, and the Chiefs' pass rush is better. The Browns, on the other hand, I actually think Baker Mayfield is going to be better this year because I think he's he's – you got to remember last year, first year under Kevin Stefanski, brand new offense. COVID happened. They didn't get full training camps. They get, didn't get as much practice time as they needed. They lose Odell Beckham Jr. early. So they really had to lean on their run game and the play action. And Baker was shaky at first. So I think as we go deeper into the season here, Austin Hooper, who we, who we know is a talented player from his time in Atlanta, wasn't really an impact for them. I think this year they get Odell Beckham Jr. back. They get the play action going. They get Austin Hooper more involved in the offense. You've got Kareem Hunt. You've got uh, Nick Chubb. Baker plays a little bit better. And the defense, the biggest, the Achilles heel for the Browns last year was their defense was terrible. They they really re-upped there. They got in some new players. They're looking strong. Second year in the system, I think they make the leap. Um, and I also, this is my dark horse, I think the New England Patriots are going to make the playoffs. And I think they're going to give the Buffalo Bills problems. I just, I believe in Bill Belichick. Okay. I think he's got his quarterback. They, they spent a ton of money in free agency. So if, you know, the Browns definitely have a tougher road in the AFC North having to deal with the Steelers True. and Mike Tomlin and the Ravens. Uh, but I think New England comes up. Maybe they expose Buffalo a little bit. So I'm going to go with the Browns. I think, uh, I think they're the team that could, Get into a situation where their defense starts playing better. They start running the football. They got Miles Garrett. I, I could see them causing some problems for the Chiefs. So I'm going to go with Cleveland. Okay. And, and by the way, I like to pick a New England. I, I originally, when I picked like every game at the end of the, the schedule release, I picked Miami to make the playoffs and New England to miss close, but to miss close. I actually now would reverse that. I, after seeing how incredibly unsure Miami is of Tua, and they can deny it all they want, the fact they tried, you know, that they're interested still in Deshaun Watson, still after all this, tells me all I need to know about what they think of Tua. And with Belichick cutting Mag, excuse me, cutting Cam Newton to play Mac Jones, tells me all I need to know about what New England thinks of Mac Jones. So 
I actually agree. I think they are a playoff team. And I think with Belichick, you don't ever want to see that team in a playoff game. Ever. I don't I don't care who his quarterback is, lack of weapons. He, he's got a very good defense. They got a very good offensive line. And Belichick just knows how to screw with people. So I agree. They're a tough team. Let's get on to our next topic here, which is uh, Clyde Edwards-Elaire. So fact or fiction, Verderam. Clyde Edwards-Elaire will have 1,500 all-purpose yards in the regular season. Ooh, 1,500. Now, it's an extra game. So essentially, it's a little less than 100 a game. Uh, you know what? I'll say fact for one reason. I think their offensive line is so much better. That I, I just I think he's going to rush for well over a thousand yards. I do. I like I've seen you know you see if you go on on whatever you you know if you gamble Bavada or 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 win bet or you know, bet you whatever it doesn't matter right DraftKings fan you see the props of who's going to throw for the most yards this year. Mahomes is an overwhelming favorite. Now this is not an anti-Mahomes stance. I would never bet on Mahomes because they're always winning. <laughs> like right. I, to me. You bet on the guy who's constantly either got, either coming from behind or has a defense. It's like Russell Wilson to me is a perfect candidate for this. They can't stop anybody, so he's going to be throwing the ball like crazy. If the Chiefs are up thirty-four to seven on some team, like, he's not going to be throwing the ball at that point. And with their offensive line, I think the Chiefs are going to be more apt to just go. You know what? F it. Third and two. Here comes power. Stop us. And, yeah. and so, and I think that plays into this question quite a bit. Edward Zolaire, I think two things are going to happen. A, I think he's going to get a lot more rushing yards just because he's going to have a much better line. Two, I think you are going to see the screen game back in full force. They are going to use this line, this young athletic front, to get out in space. And Edward Zolaire, one of the biggest reasons they drafted him is how good his hands are. So I, I'm in on that. I say fact. I, I think he's going to have a very nice year. Yeah, I'm going to go fact as well. They just had an, uh, an article. Uh, Adam Teicher over at ESPN.com does a great job over there for many years covering the Chiefs. And Adam said that they're looking to to get Clyde a little bit more involved in the passing game this year. There's some quotes in there from Mahomes talking about how he was young, he's a rookie, he is just they, they needed time for him just to focus on the running game and learn the blocking schemes and speed and all that stuff. And that he had started to come along towards the end of the year. Of course, then he had the injury. You're right. 17 game season. He had, I believe, 1,300 all purpose yards last year. Yep. Uh, I think he had like 1,800 rushing yards. So I think I agree with you. I think he gets over 1,000 rushing yards behind this line. And the fact of the matter is, teams think they have the playbook on how to beat the Chiefs now, right? Their whole offensive line has to be hurt. And you got a guy, you got to be able to get pressure on Mahomes with four. You know that what the Chiefs have been focusing on this offseason is we need to be able to run the ball when teams are playing two high safeties and they're playing a shell and we need to take what they give us on offense. That means running the ball and Mahomes dumping it off short, taking those seven, eight yard gains. The, the biggest failure of the Chiefs the last two years, I include the Super Bowl year in this, they've not been able to run the ball and they should be able to. That is easily their biggest problem. And it, yep. it, it was a problem even when they won the Super Bowl. I mean, I was actually rewatching the, the, the Chiefs Texans game a couple of days ago, mostly because it was like 11 at night and I had nothing else to do. And it's a hell, it's a fun game. Okay. If you cut out the first 20 minutes. Um, in the process of them scoring 28 straight points in the second quarter, they flash a graphic. And I can't remember what the score was. The Chiefs were still down, but at that point, we're well on their way to coming back. The Chiefs had rushed for one yard. One yard. They didn't even try to run the ball. They were like, a hell with it. We're throwing yeah. every down, right? And I believe that that 
caught up to them a little. Now, look, last year in the Super Bowl, they, they weren't going to run. They, they had no line. But Tampa Bay just was able to tee off. The Chiefs had no answer for it. And like, we can get into a lot of different things. I think Andy should have changed the way they, they called that game. But regardless, if they can, when, when teams are playing two-eye shakes, you have to run the ball against that. Not, not, I'm not saying you have to like always call a run, but when you do, you have to be able to have success against that front. Have to. And, and the Chiefs have not been able yeah. to. If Kansas City can start to have success running against two high safeties, you put teams in a brutal spot. They either need to sit back and just get a thousand paper cuts to death, or they've got to bring a safety up. And if you know anything about people in the NFL, eventually what's going to happen is a coordinator on the sideline is going to get sick and tired of giving up six runs a carry or six runs a carry. And they're going to say, you know what? We're bringing the safety up. We're going to take our chances. And that's when you hit Hardman or Hill for a bomb down the field. And, yeah. and, and so I think for the Chiefs, that has to be – don't forget that this offense, since Mahomes has been here, it looked the best the year they went to the AFC Championship game and lost, and they had Kareem Hunt. And once Hunt left, they, they've still been a great offense. But but that for that year, 2018, the first 10 games or so, they were ridiculous. Nobody could stop them, and it was because right. they could just run the ball. They put teams in ridiculously bad spots. So I, I think that's going to be huge for them this season. Yeah, and they did run the ball, and they did dump the ball after Cream Hunt, and Cream Hunt would do ridiculous things because he'd have all the space to work when he got the ball in the middle of the field. And I think that that's what we're going to see from Clyde Edwards-Elair this year. That's why everybody keeps offering me crappy fantasy football trades for him on my fantasy teams, and I tell him to go take a hike because between between the fact that I know that they got to run the ball more and and that I know that they have a line that when they get down into the red zone and on the goal line, they might actually be able to run the ball in for a touchdown. Yeah. I think he could be a, a, a huge fantasy asset if you can get your hands on him. All right, next one. Let's let's go over to the defense now. And and you talked about this player, Chris Jones, and and I'm gonna be I am gonna make a bet on him to to win Defensive Player of the Year because the odds are great. Uh, you should bet at win bet if you can. Um, mm-hmm. Betting partner of 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 our uh, of our great company, um, Chris Jones. Fact or fiction? Will have ten plus sacks. At defensive end. Now he hasn't had double digit sacks since 2018, I believe. When he, the year he had like 15 and a half sacks, something it like that. Ridiculous. It yeah. was ridiculous. It was, I believe, I think you're right. I think I'll, I'm looking it up right now, but I believe it was uh, 2018. Let's I think see, he said so this he, is like nine, eight and a half. So, okay. So, so last year at seven and a half, the year before he had nine. Here's, here's what's amazing. He was not a pro bowler when he had 15 and a half sacks in 2018. As a not defensive a, tackle. As a defensive as a, tackle. As a D tackle, not only not not an all pro, not a pro bowler. <laughs> it's impossible. It's ridiculous. It's like, it's like not letting Aaron Donald make a pro bowl. Anyway, um, I'm in I'm in as as a fact on this so hard, I think I actually hurt myself. Look, this I wouldn't be shocked if he has a year where he has like 17 sacks. I really I b- honestly believe that. A few reasons. One, him kicking outside. Look, most tackles, you're not ready for a guy who's 290 to 300 pounds. Like, tackles are used to guys with 250, 260. Jones is the athleticism of a normal defensive end, but at like 35 pounds greater. That is an insane combination. Number two, because they have Jerron Reed, who's so good inside and is a pass rusher inside, and you have Clark, and I get it. Look, Frank Clark has not been the player the Chiefs were hoping he would be in the regular season. The playoffs, he's been Lawrence Taylor. But in the regular season, 
He's been good, not great. But when you have all that, it becomes very, very, very hard to just double Jones all the time. You know, you really don't want pressure to come from the inside. And by the way, Jones has been doubled his whole career and it hasn't stopped him yet. He's just, he's killed double teams. And now instead of facing a center and a guard or guard tackle, he's going to get like a tackle on a tight end or a tackle on a running back. I, I look forward yeah. to the one or two times this year when a team blows a, a protection and he's one-on-one with a running back. <laughs> that's that's, that's what happen. I live for. Like every yeah. once in a while, you'll get that with a D end. I want to <laughs> see Melvin Gordon one-on-one on the edge with Chris Jones. That's I'm sure Chris Jones also wants to see that. But I am I'm in fact all the way. Yeah, it's a shame Philip Lindsay's gone from from Denver. I would have liked to have seen him get stuck in the backfield with man Chris wasn't Jones. Man take that twice. block. No, he certainly wasn't. I'm I, I'm with you, man. Uh, fact all the way. He's been on. He's been close. I, maybe I could have upped it. Maybe I could have done twelve or thirteen here to, to make this one a little more fact. interesting. Yeah, I I just think and the way that he's playing out there, at least in the preseason, and I know it's preseason, but. You're right. He's it's going to cause a lot of problems for teams and they're just the other thing too is when he's in the middle that's one thing he's trying to collapse the pocket. Now, if you're a quarterback, you won't want to scramble to that side. Whatever no. side he's on, you don't want to go over there because you know he's going to be able to get loose. And so it just helps everything that the Chiefs are going to do on defense. And and, and I think teams are going to like the addition of Mike Hughes, getting DeAndre Baker back, like I think teams are going to have to hold on to the ball a little bit longer. I'm excited about the defense this year and their ability to create pressure. And that could be the difference for them in winning a Super Bowl. All right. Let's talk about offense. Let's go back to the offense. Let's talk about our guy. He's on the magazine cover over my uh, my right shoulder here. You got the Pat- KCI airport, right? I uh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. You were there. That. Yeah. 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 Um, great cover. Uh, Patrick Mahomes. Will he win his second MVP award this year? Fact or fiction? Fact. If I had to bet on one guy, it would be him. Because I think they're going to be the best team in football. And I, I, I think, you know, now, now we'll, we'll get some of that later, but he was right in the running last year. He won it in 2018. If he didn't get hurt in 2019, he would have had a pretty good shot of winning it that season as well. Who are you taking? Like, like, I guess ultimately this doesn't come down to even whether or not you're like, oh, he's definitely going to win. But it, it comes down to who do you think has the best shot? It's very hard to win back-to-back MVP awards. Like, it's just, you know, listen, let's be real. It's, a, it's, a, it's an award voted by the media. There's sometimes narratives and storylines that go with it. I, I think Rodgers would have to do something historic to win that again. And I think the Packers are in, are in worse shape because they lose Bakhtiari the first six weeks. They're, they're all pro left tackle. Corey Lindsley, they're all pro center now plays for the Chargers. That's a problem. That really matters. Like, I could see the Packers early in the year having a lot of problems up front. Well, you know who's not going to have a lot of problems up front? Mahomes, who, if the preseason's any indication, is basically behind, like, the Great Wall of China, and he has, he's going to have all day to throw the football. Look, I've said this on this podcast before, and I mean this. If that offensive line is as good as it looks, they will have the best offense they've ever had in the history of this franchise. I, I, and I know people are like, well, who the hell's wide receiver to? I don't care. I don't care. If he has three seconds to throw the ball, somebody's going to get open or he's going to throw them open. I, it doesn't. Who, who was the second receiver on the Packers last year? Right. It was doesn't you and me. Yeah. You and me might as well have been the second receiver on that team. They're terrible. Marquez Valdez Scantling. That's over 48 <laughs> touchdowns and five picks. I mean, yeah. say whatever you want about McCall Hardman. He's Jerry Rice compared to whoever the hell the Packers are trotting out there last year other than Devontae Adams. Yeah. So, look, I, 
I think, yes, if you said to, who's going to win it, I mean, hey, Brady, you got to put him in there. He's got a great cast around him. I, don't, I know he's yeah. 44, but he's obviously still winning. Allen is, is, is a great player. Mayfield's a guy who's interesting. Like, if you're right and he takes a, a step up, they're really talented. That's a narrative thing. Like, they won 13 games or something. It, it's got to, it, for me, it's got to be Mahomes. It has to be. That, I, don't, I don't know how you could pick against him for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it, it really is. You're right. It's narrative based a lot of times. And it's like, okay, you, you get into that LeBron space where it's like, yeah, you know, he's great, but like, look at the shiny new object over here. And I think, and with, with Rogers last year, obviously it was, oh, he's mad at the team and Aaron Rodgers revenge tour. And he did, he did have great stats. I think it becomes a stats game. So yep. the way I look at it is who, and I'm going to, I'm going to go with you on this. I'm going to go fact. Cause I look around the NFL and I'm like, who can compete with them in stats? Especially if the line is that good. Josh Allen, maybe. Lamar Jackson, if he if he learns to throw the football a little bit better, yeah, he's right in there as, as a potential MVP candidate because of what he can do with his legs. And they win every game they play, except when they play the Chiefs. Uh and then Aaron Rodgers. And I can't, I just I don't see anybody else making that leap this year from a stats perspective to to be able to be that high octane to what they would need to compete with Mahomes. So I'm gonna go fact. I think. I think they just have they could have a potentially historically good offense, score a ton of points, and they're pissed off from losing the Super Bowl. So I think we're going to see a more focused team than we saw last year as well. And it, it you know, you got to pay attention to what Patrick Mahomes says. And he asked he got asked one question this offseason, what records are you concerned about breaking? And he said, going 17 and 0. So that tells you where his head's at. I heard Nick Wright say this year day, he was a friend of the Stack in the Box podcast, just a good guy overall. Um, works over, of course, at Fox uh, Fox Sports, and is a, is a diehard Chiefs fan. And he said on, I believe it was on Colin Cowherd's show, if they go five and zero, they have a real shot of just running the table. Now, look, I don't think they're going seventeen and zero, but their first five games, as I'm sure most people know who listen to this podcast, got Cleveland, Baltimore, the Chargers, the Eagles, the Bills. The Eagles are the only team that Chiefs should win by thirty points over. If they run the, that table, okay, you start looking at the rest of the schedule. They still have hard games. The next two games, in fact, are Washington and Tennessee, and then they play Green Bay a little bit later. But, man, there's a lot of Denver twice, the Raiders twice, the Bengals, the Steelers at home, the Giants at home on a Monday night, which is akin to a ritualistic killing. Um, I mean, you you go down the list. Like, you start looking at that schedule, you have Dallas at home. There's a lot of games you're like, man, okay, they, they should win, not only win, but win pretty big. And I think, look, I always, I always find Vegas interesting, right? Because Vegas, I think sometimes people are always like, oh, they're, you know, they're off on this, they're off on that. The job isn't to be necessarily right. The job is to draw action on both sides of a number. Week one against Cleveland, I know we're going to get in that game all next week. The Chiefs are favored by six points. Now, for anyone who's not familiar with gambling, usually the, the home team kind of gets three points automatically. That's a little bit of a home field advantage. And then from there. That is against a, a, another very good team. That's a lot of points. There's a like, lot in the NFL. It, it, like, let's put it this way. If Buffalo is home to Cleveland, Buffalo might be three and a half, four. Six is a lot. And I've seen lines, by the way, that are out for week two. The Chiefs are favorites in Baltimore. By a point, but they're a favorite. Like to be a favorite on the road against another really good team is almost like that's like Pat's level when they had Brady and Belichick all those years, where yeah. they were just always the favorite. Kansas City right now 
He's a favorite literally in every game that they have in their schedule. Every single one of them. And so I don't think they go seven you know, if this team is is loaded. And if Mahomes if the Chiefs go 16 to 1 or something like that, or 15 to Mahomes throws for 5,000 yards, yeah, he's going to be the MVP of the league. Yeah. All right. So that leads us into the last factor fiction. And this is a, a kind of a two-parter. So factor fiction, the Chiefs will win 15 games. And also, after you tell us if they will or not, tell us your record prediction. Fact, 15 and 2. I picked them to go 15 and 2 when the schedule came out. I stick by. They don't lose games in September, ever. In fact, like literally, Mahomes has never lost a game in September. Reed hasn't lost a game in September since something like 2017. or No, excuse me, 2016. They have not lost a game in September since the Obama administration. I mean, they, they, <laughs> they don't lose. So, you know, I, I, look, I get it. Their schedule is hard. But if they get through those games, I just reeled off who they're playing the last 10 or so games of the year. Who are you picking to beat them? Like who? I, I not, it's not to say that they're going to win every game. Like the Raiders came in there and beat the Chiefs last year, and then did a victory tour, and then lost every game after that. Like, but I look at the Chiefs, and the way I break it down is whenever the Chiefs play a team that they're up for, they beat them. I remember last year when they went to Buffalo for the regular season game, and it was all hey, you know, Buffalo here they come. That the Chiefs went in there and smacked them all over the field on, on national television. Even more to the point when they played Baltimore. And I was guilty of this too. Like I, I thought, oh, this is going to be a game where like Baltimore's really up for this. Yeah, the Chiefs destroyed Baltimore. Yeah, that you game picked wasn't the Baltimore even a, to win that game. I did. I did. It was the yeah. only game all year I picked the Chiefs to lose. And Kansas City just eviscerated Baltimore. So I look at it and I say, well, yeah. Like, do I think like when they play Cleveland? And I'm I'm not giving away a secret. I'm, do I think they're going to beat Cleveland? Yeah, I do. They're at home. It's Week One. I get Willie Gay's not going to play. We'll see what's going on. Frank Clark said that hamstring that's kind of lingered. I don't care. I just, I don't care. Like, I, I am taking Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes in, in, in a sold out arrowhead week one. Right. And so, yeah, I think they lose one game in the division. You know, there's always that game you get tripped up, whether or not it's some game in, in Vegas, which I don't think it will be, by the way. Or maybe they have that Thursday night game late on the, on the road against the Chargers. Like, maybe that's a game they lose. And then I'll give you the one spot I think is a little bit interesting for them. After they play Buffalo and they finish that, that five-game gauntlet, they play Washington on the road and Tennessee on the road. Both games are noon kicks, central time. Those are the kinds of games I'm always a little leery of. Those teams are good teams, but like teams the Chiefs should beat. They're not primetime games. They're not standalone late afternoon games. Like It's, it's one of those things where like Washington is going to be unbelievably pumped up for that game. And the Chiefs are just probably going to be like, eh, it's Washington. Like th- Those are the games that scare you a little bit. So I'll pick them to like split those games and maybe lose to the Chargers late in the year. Just, you know, short week, cross country, whatever. But I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't be shocked if they won more. And I don't think they're going to win less unless they get hurt. I hope you're right. I am going to go fiction on this one. And I'll tell you why. It's not so much that I, I think the Chiefs are going to get tripped up a bunch of times. I think they're going to lose two games just like you do. I think they're going to get tripped up in the division. I think it's going to be the Chargers that are going to going to snake bite them this year. And I think they're going to lose a game to somebody else. But because of the way their schedule shakes out, because of the tiebreakers, I think that they're going to have over all the potential playoff teams, as you say, getting up for all those games. I think by the time they get to that last week of the season, they just lay down. 
they're laying down. I think okay. everybody's going to be sitting. Everyone's going to be getting healthy. Chiefs are going to lose that game. Hell, man, they might they might activate Shane Bouchelle from the practice squad, not even put Henny in there. Okay. Uh, because I think I think it's going to be locked up. I think they'll have the one seed locked up, and so I think they'll end up losing three games. But I think they'll be as good as you think I'll they are I'll add this quickly. This uh, I believe, and after all the consternation about the job Brett Veach was doing and everything else in March and in April, what are we going to do? I think this is the deepest team they've ever had. The, the deepest. I honestly yeah. think that week 18 game at Denver, I think they could go in there and play their second stringers and beat Denver. Like, I, I really do. Like if Denver plays yeah. their starters, I think the Chiefs would have a legitimate shot to win the game. I mean, well, look, if they're, if they're playing all their backup offensive linemen and all their back, but if the Chiefs rested just like their star, star players, like the top like, yeah. 10 guys, I'm not saying I'd pick the Chiefs to win, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if Kansas City went in there and won the game. I mean, you. I saw Jeff Allen, who's been a friend of the podcast, who's come on for, um, former guard. He he tweeted out that the Chiefs backups could win the NFC East. And I thought about it and was like, I don't think they actually could. And I'm, I'm guessing he probably doesn't either. I'm guessing they could win like six or seven games and like be in the – which is just – Yeah, that good. But yeah. when you watch the preseason and they brought in their backups, they were just smoking teams. Like It was yeah. like – they were, I mean, they were beating the Viking starters with their backups at one point in the game. They're just three yeah. and outing them. And it, it says quite a bit. Yeah, it does. They are deep. It's going to be an exciting season. So let's put a capstone on this. Super Bowl or bust. Do the Chiefs make it? And do they win it? Believe it or not, despite all I said about them being great in 15 2, I actually thought about this because I'm a man of history. I love the history of a lot of things, but it's just, it's just the, specifically, if I could speak, specifically the NFL, here are the teams that have gone to three straight Super Bowls. Not one three straights. Nobody's ever won three straight Super Bowls, but just appeared in them. 71 through 73, the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, they won two of them. 90 through 93, the Buffalo Bills famously lost all four of them. Okay? And then the New England Patriots from, tw- from 2016 to 2018. And they won two of them. That's it. It's the entire list. Apparently, the AFC East has a monopoly. Okay. It's very hard. You're playing a lot of extra games, more wear and tear on the body. You'll lose players in free agency, of course, now in these in these days and times with, with, the, with the cap and, and, and whatnot. But I think they're going back. I just, I look at them. I think they're the deepest team they've ever had. And there are potential pitfalls. Okay. If Tyree Killer, Travis Kelsey get hurt, the Chiefs have a big problem because yep. they, they don't. They don't have a, a bunch of great weapons behind them. However, with all due respect to Sammy Watkins, I would argue that's kind of been the case the last handful of years. Like, he's hurt all the time. Right. So It's not like he was Jerry Rice out there. Yeah. Like, like everybody's talking about this. He didn't even play until they got to the Super Bowl last year. Like he, right. I mean, they were killing Buffalo and Cleveland in the playoffs without, those, without any help from, from Watkins. Watkins was huge in the Super Bowl year. But and, and I would argue, obviously, he was not the reason that they lost in the Super Bowl. I mean, they, they, they weren't. Yeah, you know, he was not much of a factor. So look, I always look at it this way. Who would I pick to go into Arrowhead and beat them in a playoff game? Nobody. Nobody. I think the Bills are the biggest threat to them. And the Chiefs boat raced Buffalo twice. Boat raced them. And the Chiefs gifted them a, a, a touchdown in the AFC Championship game. Yeah. Made no difference. Were they None. down 10 nothing? They were down 9 Buffalo. nothing. Nine nothing. Yeah. Yeah, you missed extra. The game was over by halftime. <laughs> I think he was by the time the Chiefs were up 21 9, you know, yeah. this game's done. They can't stop him. Allen Allen looked like he had no idea how to figure out Spagnola's defense, which by the way, is a big subplot to the season. Like Allen better figure it out. 
because he, in both games, he did nothing against yeah. Kansas City. Nothing. They took digs out of the game. They made him win everywhere else, and they couldn't do it. Um, I, I, look, Baltimore to me, you got to prove it. Beat him. Beat him once. Every time Chiefs play Baltimore, they, they smash him. And then Cleveland, Cleveland has a lot of talent. I just don't trust Mayfield, man. In the end, like I just look at it and go, yeah, is he going to really go in there and beat Mahomes? He, you know, heads up. I don't think so. I don't think anybody else can. I'll give you the one thing. Tennessee's interesting from this aspect. If they have Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry on the field at the same time and healthy in the playoffs, that team is a kind of team that if you catch them on the wrong day, you could lose like 42-38 to them. But yeah. again, would I pick them to beat Kansas City? No, because I think the Chiefs would score 50. Like, I, I just think they're so loaded, dude. I, I, I get it. Injuries, whatever. But that's true of any team. If they're healthy and not just and, and by the way, I think even if they go on the road in the playoffs, they'd beat any of these teams. I really do. Like if they had to go to Buffalo, like it's harder. But would I still pick them? Yeah, I would. Like I, I, I would. I absolutely would. So yes, I think they will go back to the Super Bowl um, for what what is a third straight year. Imagine saying that only a couple of years ago with this franchise. <laughs> well, you forgot the second half of the question. Do they win it? Yes. Yes. I think Tampa's the only team I think that can beat them. I don't, I don't, I'm not kidding. If they get anybody else in the NFC, I think they'll absolutely destroy them because Seattle has no secondary. The Rams are interesting. I don't, but I think I feel like the Rams are just a lesser version of the Chiefs. Like I, like Stafford's fine, but he's not Mahomes. Cup and, and Woods are fine. They're not Kelsey and Hill. The Niners are, are good. I just like we've sung this song. Like is Garoppolo going to beat him in a Super Bowl? I don't, I don't think so. Um, I don't think he'll be starting by the end of the season. I think Trey Lance will be in there. They'll be figuring that out. Right. And I'm not taking a rookie. New Orleans is not not what it once was. Green Bay to me, I mentioned the the loss in the offensive line. They might get Bakhtiari back, but it's like you take Adams away and that passing game is is not as strong. Now, Rodgers is great, but I would take the Chiefs to win the game. So I think Tampa, if they play Tampa again and they're both healthy, that's an unbelievable game. That's like how many Hall of Famers would be in that game? Like ten, it'd yeah. be unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, um, I think they're the best team, and ultimately, man, well, I think I think Tampa's as good as them. I would I would take the Chiefs straight strictly based off of Mahomes. If they, if, if they can block for him, it's a wrap. Yeah, I will. I don't need to make this long. Yes, I think the Chiefs are going back to the Super Bowl. Mahomes is just different, man. Like he's a different cat. He's as special as Tom Brady. Uh, in different ways, obviously, but he's that kind of special, uh, a LeBron James, a Steph Curry kind of player. I think the Chiefs are are the, the the closest thing to a football team version of what the Golden State Warriors were a couple of years ago with 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 Clay and Steph and and, and Draymond and those guys. Like just just so much more talented than every other team that, and even they lost to, to a team that wasn't as talented than them, and it took a historical. Finals come back, and I'm not just saying that to to troll our our producer Hunter, um, who is a, a big Golden State fan. They got all the they got all the chips. I know he's not worried about that one, but um, that's that's what I think about this team. And, and when I look at the AFC, there's just nobody close. And you know, we saw that once before with the New England Patriots and with Randy Moss, and they went all the way to the Super Bowl and they lost to to a Giants team with a tough defense. Um, but I think they're going back because I don't think anybody could stop them in the AFC. Boy, it's so hard to win Super Bowls, but I—if they won last year, even with this team, 
I would be like, there's just no way they're, they're not, they're not going to win three in a row um, it's a, to keep the focus. But because they lost last year, because they got their asses kicked last year in the Super Bowl and got humiliated. Yep. I just think that's the guys they have on this team. Andy Reid, if they stay healthy, I think even if they run into Tampa Bay, I think they're going to be able to beat them. And if, and I think I think it's going to be the first time in a Super Bowl Mahomes is light. Like Mahomes is Mahomes in a Super Bowl. I know they've got a good defense in Tampa, but I think it's going to be Green Bay. I think it's going to be Green Bay, Kansas City, though. If the Chiefs win the Super Bowl this year, are they a dynasty? Yeah, I think I think you have to say so. I I I generally tend to say like you've got to get three championships to to be considered a dynasty, you know, in a, in a certain amount of time. But they're just—I mean—they've dominated. You, you you've got to go back to even Alex Smith and them being a playoff team, dominating the AFC West, then progressing with Mahomes, winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, if they get if they get a second Super Bowl in three years, that's so friggin' hard to do, and they'll be right back in the playoff mix the next year. It's it's the era of Mahomes and the Chiefs right now. That's what we're in. I'll, I'll close my portion with this. I do think that you could have that conversation. I don't know where I'd fall on that. Actually, I just kind of thought of it as we were talking. But um, your your point is very apt. They are what New England was for the last twenty years. Where if you're in the AFC, you can look at them and just go. We got to beat them. And some in some years, you will. Some years, you will. As great as New England was, they go to the Super Bowl every year, but the average is going about once every three years. Okay. That team, you knew, as, as the late, great Therese Paler used to say, you got to go where the phones don't work. And you've got to find a way to beat that team. And I think, you know, look, let's face it. The Chiefs ran into Brady two of the last three years. I mean, and now, now look, if D4 doesn't, if he's not offside, they win that game, okay? And, and if the offensive line is healthy, but but he was offside, and the offensive line wasn't healthy. The Pats for 20 years were Peyton Manning's roadblock. They were Ben Roethlisberger's roadblock. At the end, they were they were Kansas City's roadblock. Kansas City is now that team where if you're Buffalo, Baltimore, Cleveland, whoever, you are looking at Arrowhead Stadium and you're looking at the Chiefs and saying, how do we beat them? And that's a very good position to be in. Amen to that. It's going to be a hell of a season. We've been here for a while, so we got to get going. But right before we go, we have a reader review. You guys know the drill. You head over to our Apple podcast page. You leave us a five-star review. You leave us a written review with a question. We're going to read it on the podcast. That's as true as today as ever. Um, so, by the way, Verderam, did you get your Count Chocula yet? I'm literally going to get it tonight. I, I've been at Walmart. They don't have it, but somebody tipped me off that it's at Target. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make that yeah, trip. Uh, I'll, and I'll tell you right now, if I find it and there's ten boxes of it, I'm buying ten boxes. Of it. <laughs> I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. I'm stocking up. And I'm gonna send yeah. a picture to General Mills. Be hey, you think you're gonna keep it from me in June? We'll see who's <laughs> gonna win the battle of wills. I love it. I love it. It's about that time. So the, the, this review is, is 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 more related to the to the goat. Of of cereals, which is I, I mentioned in a podcast. I think you weren't here, but that, that I wanted to try the. There's all these versions of CT Crunch. Yeah, and there's the CT Crunch churros, which I, I mean, if you've ever had a churro, it's oh, heaven. Um, uh, this one comes from uh, Joe on it fifty five from uh, from the nineteenth of August. Thank you, Joe, for your review. He says, "I love your show. My wife tried CT churros, and she said it was a two. 
due Ooh. to all of the cinnamon washing off. So if you if you haven't listened to our cereal reviews before, we have a zero to five scale. It's the it's the CT Crunch scale. So uh, if you get five T- CT Crunches, that would mean you're in an absolutely incredible cereal. So so uh, Joe's wife given the CT its own rating system. CT Crunch churros only two CT Crunches. What, does this does this shake your faith a little bit, Verter? Are you still going to check out a box at some point? I'll still check out a box. But that being said, look, first of all, kudos <laughs> to Joe for the review. Kudos to Joe's wife for for testing the yeah. cereal and giving her grade. Okay? And the scale, yeah, I, I love, love it. it. Um, yeah. by the way, I don't want to see anybody commenting like, "Hey, this cereal is a six. There is no six, okay? Because no. that's what there is one six, and it's cinnamon toast crunch, the bottom <laughs> of the bag. It's right. the only six right. that. That's like when you have that, you call in sick that day. Yep. And you, you, yep. just, you know, this is my day, boys. This is it. Okay. And everybody yeah. at work understands if, they, if, if they're real. But that said, I'd still try it. Like, I just, I, I love Cinnamon Toast Crunch. So, yeah. that being said, I appreciate the review. And now I go in with a little bit of skepticism. And I'm not, and I'm not like real high and excited about this. And then all of a sudden, yeah. it's, oh, wow, I have a bowl of sugar milk. You have even expectations. I think it's probably Correct. a texture thing, right? I mean, if they're using roughly the same dust, but a, a different, uh, a churro-shaped piece of cereal, obviously it's going to maybe have a little bit of harder time sticking to the cereal than right. than, than the standard CT Crunch. So, uh, but I'm yeah, you know, when I go to get my my Count chocolate, I think it's time. I'll just snag a box, family size, of course. And oh, uh, yeah. we got to make sure you give it the full, the <laughs> like, full. Like review. anyone else in the family's eating it. That, that's right. Well, there's just two of us in our family, and my wife doesn't eat the cereal, so you know where all that's going. It's like when I go to get sushi, and I order it, and I get there, and they give me like two forks. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Right. Like, yeah. There you go. You take it back. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. yeah. So and I, I am very excited about that. I love that the cereal thing has become such a part of the podcast, and we now get tweets from people. Yes. Like, And the Count Chocula <laughs> one, and, and forgive me, the person who tweeted, I, I know they follow us, and, they, and they, they, I interact with them all on Twitter. Not only did they tweet to us like, "Hey, Count Chocula is there," they took a picture. Yes, like they took a <laughs> as if we were going to believe them. They're like, "Hey, right. <laughs> it's right. a, that's great verifiable evidence." Yeah, like, that is that is yeah, you guys level type stuff. So yeah. Yeah. I love it. I appreciate it. <laughs> Keep it coming. It's great. And uh, one of these days, we got to get sponsored by, by by one of these cereals. Yeah, like, yeah. it's honestly well, it's, it's a tragedy that we haven't been yet. It really is. We'll get we'll get on the phone with General Mills. I talked to the sales team. All right, y'all. We're gonna get out of here. Hey, look, we got one more week. One more week. We are we are what? We're seven days away from NFL football. Ten days from the Chiefs. And ten days from the Chiefs. It's gonna be the late kick on Sunday with the Browns. So you'll be able to really uh, you can enjoy all the one o'clock games and and then gear up for uh, for for the Chiefs and the Browns. I'm excited. It's finally here. We'll be back next week. Sterling and Matt Connor will be there early in the week, and we will be back. Uh, we're still figuring out the schedule, so we'll, we'll tip you off on this. We may not be at our regular Thursday time slot because there's a game, and so you may see us on Sunday evening or uh, on Monday. We're going to figure that out. We're still setting the schedule, so keep an eye on Twitter for that. I may even drop a note in the podcast feed but you guys are the best our numbers are going through the roof by the way because of you we just had the biggest month we've ever had in the history of the podcast in august that's absolutely incredible there's not even football being played it's higher than draft month so you guys keep it coming keep those reviews coming we appreciate your support uh from matt verderam my name is patrick allen we see you on youtube now we'll see you in the comments there and maybe a live show coming at you next week uh as always go chiefs 
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.